All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. There were three ordinary women on what seemed like a simple mission to find a film they liked. One where women got something to do and not just look pretty or be murdered. Which, to be totally honest has complicated matters a bit. Welcome to Flicking. Yes, it sounds a bit rude. That's the joke. Hello and welcome to this month's Flicking, our monthly take on one of our favourite films. One of us picks their favourite film, the other two either piss on it or declare it an absolute winner. The two potentially pissing this month are me, Mickey Noonan, and Yosra Osman. Yossi, hello. Hello, Flickers. Uh, well that's rude um, <laughs> and the woman putting one of her favorite films on the line is the hannah dunleavy hey hannah <coughs> sorry there hello. she is <laughs> hello we're gonna cut that bit hello coughing will be cut out i'll try to keep it keep it in i've had covid but everybody knows that so i think there will be less pissing in this one because i, I kind of know but let's start. i don't know i've got myself near a dry stone wall just in case the need <laughs> takes me <laughs> This month, we watched God's Own Country, Francis Lee's debut film released in 2017. Why do I love it? Well, because I love everyone in it, but I especially love Ian Hart and Yorkshire and Baby Lambs (laughs) and a gay romance. And I think it's really astute and it manages to say a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff, despite huge chunks of it taking place in complete silence. I'm going to do a little bit of a plot for anyone who hasn't seen it. But as I always say here, if you haven't seen it, stop listening to this and go and watch it. John Saxby, who is played by The Crown's Josh O'Connor, 
is trying to run his family's Yorkshire farm pretty much single-handedly. His mum ran off down south years ago. His dad, who is played by Ian Hart, recently had a stroke, which has left him mostly unable to work. And his grandmother, played with a Catherine Kaywood level of worry face by Gemma Jones, Mm -hmm. veers between bollocking him for working too hard and bollocking him for not working hard enough. (laughs) The stress of all of this and the fact that nobody appears to have given him a cuddle for at least a decade means John spends any free time he has drinking heavily and indiscriminately shagging. You know, the British way. (laughs) Into this shit show comes Romanian migrant worker Gorgie, played by Alex Seccarano, who was recently seen in the final series of Happy Valley. He's got ideas of how John could be doing things better be it saving baby lambs, making cheese, or having actual human feelings. (laughs) And the two start a relationship which, while far from perfect, changes John's relationship with his farm, with his future, and perhaps most tear-inducingly with his dad. Now, Yosri, you were the person back in 2017 who told me to watch this, and I know that you went to a talk about it when you went to a screening, And Mickey, you and I were in a pub earlier this week and had to stop ourselves talking about this. Had to keep that powder dry. We did agree that Patrick Wolfe's The Days is the perfect song to end this with. Mm. So I reckon we've probably got a lot to say. I wanted to start with the comparison to Brokeback Mountain, which almost all critics made when it came out. It's worth saying for anyone listening who doesn't know that this is about being gay and farming because Francis Lee is gay and grew up on a farm. And although it certainly does share themes with Robot Mountain, it is a very different film. So I wonder what you make of those comparisons. Let's start with you, Yosra. The listeners won't have seen this, but I kind of rolled my eyes yeah. there. Because I actually remember at the time, <laughs> a lot of people called it sort of the British Brokeback Mountain mm. when it first came out. And when I went to see it, I think that was like one of the first things somebody told me. And yes, you've got gay, isolated farmers. But actually, I, I think that's quite unfair to God's own country. And I think that there's a lot in God's own country that's that's very unique and you wouldn't really compare it to, to Brokeback Mountain just in its very subdued nature and the kind of way that you that the relationship is built between Johnny and Gorgie. There's just so much there that, that I'm not comparing the films in terms of quality, but I'm just saying that for me, God's own country is quite a unique viewing experience and that's why I liked it so much. Yeah, agreed. I guess the big difference is Annie Prue isn't a gay man. God's Own Country is written by a gay man. And also, while there is an aspect of homophobia when they're in the pub together, it's so mixed up with the xenophobia mm. of Gorgie not being from, not even just Britain, but that particular part of Britain, that kind of enhanced mega xenophobia of you're not from this town, that it's not got that same backdrop of repression and homophobia that Brokeback Mountain has got. So it feels it feels just more positive, I think, about yeah. being in a gay relationship. Uh, agreed. Yeah. No, neither of them seem particularly like ashamed, which is shame is such a strong sentiment in, or a strong feeling that uh, throughout Brokeback mm. Mountain, and that, that doesn't really exist here. And, and also, even though Gemma Jones does some wonderful... Mm, type faces when she can see that they're getting together (laughs) and Ian Hart has this look of absolutely stricken worry. It's worth pointing out, I think they would be equally worried 
or possibly nearly as worried if that was a woman because their fear is Johnny's going to leave. Their fear is, like, what is going to happen if Johnny gives up and goes? So I think they would be suspicious of any relationship that he started to, to enter into. I think, for me, the difference is Brokeback Mountain is a gay love story, and that's how it was billed, with all of that sort of baggage packed into it, whereas God's Own Country is is a love story. Yeah. doesn't need the kind of gay um, adjective... No. Uh, delineator is that the right word descriptor there we go it doesn't need the gay descriptor it's just a it's a beautiful love story although I have questions I think the fear isn't quite of the homophobia the fear is actually of just making that connection between themselves for their own Mm. reasons Mm. and that's I think that links back to what you're saying Mickey in terms of that this is just a love story not you could just see it as that because like these two men they have their own internal so they're internally suppressed in their own way and they kind of particularly Johnny has his own fears of getting into any kind of relationship and being emotionally attached and I think that's that's the main thing that comes through rather than the kind of what you might see in Brokeback Mountain which is the the kind of conventions of a homophobic environment that doesn't really come through in God's own country. Mm-hmm. I mean I love both of that, those films, I, I do yeah, love I love both films, I have to say that. Yeah. It's worth saying with Brokeback Mountain, give it its credit in that without Brokeback Mountain, I'm not entirely sure God's Own Country would have existed. Agreed. And I think what's really interesting is if you look back at the questions that Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger faced when they were doing interviews on Brokeback Mountain, quite a lot of them were about, you know, playing a gay guy. Whereas if you look at the questions that Josh O'Connor and Alex Ekaranu faced when doing promotion for this, quite a lot of them was about pulling an animal out of another animal and giving <laughs> like mouth to mouth to a lamb. So it does show that in that, when was Breakback Mountain? About 2005. In that 12 years, a lot of progress had been made. I was going to ask actually, just, just then, if that is why we're seeing these films a little bit differently because of the times that they mm. came out and how that might have influenced our viewing of the films I'm not sure because I mean the only when I went to see it I went to the Q&A and Josh O'Connor and Alec uh, Sekriani were both there as well as Francis Lee actually and most of the questions were nothing to do with the fact that this was a gay relationship at all people just wanted to know about how it was filmed in Yorkshire what it was like dealing with the kind of internal traumas that they had and that was all they asked about apart from one really awful person who asked oh it must have been really (laughs) awful filming the sex scenes wasn't it and everyone in this audience just did a little groan like oh please don't ask that but it it was interesting the questions that came up yeah yeah you did just mention that it was filmed in Yorkshire and people were interested in that but I think you'll find that it was filmed in Britain's Pennine Mountains and northern region of England (laughs) yes I <laughs> Which is my favourite line from a review I read by guess an American. <laughs> Mickey, you touched on another hot button topic that this film covers, but with a very light touch, which is xenophobia. Mm. I was trying to think of any other Eastern European male character in British film or television that's actually as well sketched as Gorgie, and I, I can't think of one. Right, I think you're right. There, there does seem to be a tendency to rely quite heavily on stereotypes. Mm. Even his appearance in the quite rightly lauded by this podcast, Happy Valley, I don't think he's as well sketched. No, no. 
Yosra. No, I, I, I would agree with that. I've, sorry, I went quiet because I was actually trying to think if I've ever seen anything similar, but I, I, I don't think I have, no. It's worth mentioning as well, you know, yet another thing that, you know, sort of complicates the, the narrative essentially is that this film was written and filmed before the Brexit result, but released after mm. it. So people might look at it and think, oh, it's about economic migrants and it doesn't mention Brexit, but that'll be why. But I think it's interesting that, that um, I'll get to the ending in a bit, that, that the sort of spectre of Brexit does sort of hang over this film, given that, that it would have real life repercussions on what's going to happen to them in the future. It is interesting because when I was watching it both times, actually, I did think about the xenophobia. And at times I did question, and maybe this is the bubble I'm in because I live in Cambridgeshire, but it's like, would, would everyone really have reacted to Gorgie in that way? And I know there would have been some xenophobia, but it kind of felt like Gorgie was so super, super isolated and didn't really have anyone on his side. I know we only touch on certain scenes in the pub where they're kind of socialising with other people, but it maybe that just shows my own ignorance in thinking about the situation and how, how people would have reacted. You lived in West Yorkshire, Mickey. I did. And I think it's it's really interesting. When I moved to London and I was like, oh, this is, you know, so much more multicultural and cosmopolitan and it feels right. It feels like how it should be, and which might sound ridiculous when I lived in Halifax, very near Bradford, which, of course, has its own kind of cosmopolitan nature. It's, it's a real mix. But there are so many pockets that are very, very white. And I think when you get into those teeny, tiny communities, they just haven't known anything else. They are still, the word is isolated. They are still really isolated. They don't like change. What I found really interesting about God's Own Country, because it was set on a farm, and not just a, not a big farm, but set on an isolated, small family farm, it felt kind of timeless. I watched it for a bit going, I don't know when this is set, because obviously they're struggling, so they've not updated the house for however many mm. decades. So it could have been in the 70s. If someone had said to me, this is set in the 70s, I'd have said, okay, yeah, I believe you, because so little has changed. So when there is something different enters that community, I think the reactions are much more heightened, mm. would be my take on it. Also, it kind of leads me to one big question about their relationship. And don't get me wrong, I was totally rooting for Gorgie and Johnny, obviously. But I can see why Johnny fancies and falls for Gorgie. But I, I don't really understand why Gorgie decides that he likes Johnny, because Johnny is racist and mean to him. He is mean to him, but part of that is just, I think, how fucked up Johnny is, that that's how his he interacts with people. He's trying to get a response. He's like a child. He's literally mm. trying to get a response. And even if it's a bad response, which is what he gets in the end, he gets a bit of rough and tumble in the end because it's like you stop speaking to me like that. It's just any response is better than no response. I'm not defending what he says because he does say a number of really racist things. But he is. Because you see him, he sort of mimics, he starts to mimic Gorgie, the bit where they're in the hospital and Gorgie puts his finger on his hand and like, rubs his finger and then he goes mm. in and does that to his dad in the hospital yeah. bed it's like he hasn't it's like he hasn't learned how to be a human being but I will say yeah I mean it's a tough ask for a relationship Johnny Saxby I'm not <laughs> it's not necessarily although I do know <laughs> lots of women that find Josh O'Connor lovely so maybe that's just the particular you know charms that I'm missing 
I read in a review and I thought this was really interesting that the more Johnny engages with Gorgie and, and you know, for, for, he's been brought up that whenever he's had a feeling, he should absolutely push that feeling down and build a dry stone wall. That's the option. We're not going to talk about feelings. We're going to put up a fence literally and emotionally. That is what we're doing. And the more he warms to Gorgie into that relationship, he actually gets more handsome. He softens. Yeah. And I do think that's yeah. true. Yeah. Comes a lot more likable for yeah. sure. Yeah. I was just going to say that I think Gorgie sees in Johnny when you're sort of asking how could you know how is Gorgie going to fall for Johnny, but um, can see that Johnny is very repressed and has this kind of tough relationship. I mean, it's very clear that he's got quite a tough relationship with his father. So he, I'm sure Gorgie sees that that that's his defence mechanism and can see through that. And actually, maybe he does need a bit of a bit of affection and a bit of care which clearly he he's struggling with so to me it did kind of make sense although I'm not forgiving as Hannah said anything that that Johnny said initially but you do warm up to him as the film goes on I just think if any of my mates and like I said I was rooting for that relationship because they're both incredible performances and you do end up really liking Johnny and seeing the situation he's in but if any of my mates said, oh, this this bloke was really racist to me and now we're going to go out. I'd be like, uh, big red flag. That's a big no <laughs> <Yeah>. for me. <laughs> because I wouldn't go out with anyone who'd been that racist to me. Definitely. Well, I'm hoping yours are at all racist. You know, yeah. like, I think it's quite a low bar. <laughs> Indeed. There's a lot of other things in this film that, it, like I say, I mean, I mean, there's so many just chunks of silence. So little is said. So much is down to like mm. facial expressions. Gemma Jones is an absolute fucking master of just facial expressions in this. But when it does say something, it really does. And I, I, I think there's an excellent, really excellent scene outside the pub when he meets his friend from school. Yeah. I don't come from a community that's that small, but, you know, I do come from a small town. And when I left to go to university, the relationship I had with my friends who stayed and didn't go to university was changed forever. And it kind of hinged on this thing that Johnny actually says in it, which is some of us have to live in the real world. And it's so interesting because they thought that, like him, that they were living in the real world. They were working, they had bosses, they were paying taxes. And they thought that I was just extending my adolescence by just, you know, like messing around. I thought I was living in the real world because I'd left a little town and was now living in a bigger town and I'd met loads of different people, people who lived in different parts of the country, people who lived in different parts of the world and I have more experiences and I think the tension between those two things is done unbelievably well in that just like two-minute conversation that he has outside the pub with his friend. I agree. What the truth is, is they're both, what, 19, I think they're supposed Mm. to be? They've literally just gone to uni and he was planning to go, but has ended up staying behind because of his dad's stroke. They're both still unformed. You Mm. know, they're they're both still unformed Mm. humans. Neither of them are living in the real world yet. Johnny's is very much in his face. And I think he is obviously having to adapt quicker and in a much more harsh reality. But he's, he's in denial. He doesn't want to do it. So, yeah, neither of them are actually facing up to the real world yet. But what I do like about the film is that through Johnny kind of, you know, thinking about his own choices, 
there's no real critical judgment on that culture that he's in. It's not presented in a way that Johnny is desperate to escape, especially as the film goes on and his relationship warms up with Gorgie. He, you can tell that he has a real love for that countryside and the light and, you know, looking after the animals. And so even though we can see he's repressed for a, a number of reasons, I, I did quite like that approach that Francis Lee takes. And I think some of that is in just the narrative, but also just the way that he shoots the countryside and the, the, the attention to detail with the farming. So I, I quite liked that aspect. Yeah. I think the, the saddest bit and the, the, maybe the most shame we see Johnny display is when he kicks the dead cow that he knows he could have helped save that he was fond of and again when he takes it out on a cow and Gorgie goes it's not her fault and you see that flash of shame and realization because he does love the beast he, like because his dad always goes have you, have you seen to the beast he does love the beast he does want them to do well you know he's excited he's the one who's excited by Gorgie saying have you thought about making cheese and he's like we we have not thought about making cheese and he's excited whereas Gemma Jones is I'm not eating that and you know fair dues what's that muck if you best eat out I want to talk about the end in a bit but I just want to stop and just 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 say for a second because I I freaking love him Ian Hart is magnificent he's magnificent in everything he does, but he is particularly magnificent in this. I, I saw an interview with Jared Harris when they made the terror together, and the interviewer mm. said to Jared Harris, I heard a story that you asked for loads of your lines to be given away to Ian Hart. And uh, Jared Harris said, yeah, that's true. And the interviewer said to him, why? And he said, if someone gives you a Maserati, you don't leave it in the garage. And I think it is yeah. the perfect explanation for how great Ian Hart is. I absolutely love him. And, you know, you just said there that Jared Harris gave him a load of lines. And actually, there's just there's one line that he said. It's not even one line. It's one phrase that he says. And the acting in it, the emotion in it is incredible. And it is that bath scene, mm. which is probably yeah. like the most moving yeah. scene in the whole thing. Which, you know, that is a high bar. That is a yeah. very high bar because it is all yeah. very moving. And he just touches Johnny's hand and he says, Thank you. And it like I was pink eyed. It was it's yeah. so so beautifully done. Both of them are exceptional in that scene. They're so good. It's so moving. Yeah. I think that's my favourite scene in the whole film because there's yeah. just it's two words that he says, but there is so much yeah. that comes through from that. I'm actually yeah. welling up a little bit just thinking about yeah, it now. It's really beautiful. Yeah, scene. yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it encompasses all of their past. Yeah. And also makes it more hopeful for their future as a family. It's in, it's incredible what it pulls into those two words it's in progress. that 30-second scene. It is yeah. genuine progress. Yeah. It is what has, ha- what has happened to both of them. You know, it wasn't the stroke that did it. It is what's happened in the last couple of weeks because this film is actually set over such a small space of time. I want to talk briefly about the end because, I, 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 again, I've seen some interviews with certainly with Alex Ekaranu and with Josh O'Connor, in which they were asked about, you know, it's essentially a happy ending, but is it a happy ending? Where is this going? And both of them displayed relatively negative hopes for the future, you know. And actually, you can look at this and you can think, well, hey, we've said it, Brexit's coming. Mm. Aside from other real news things, you know, COVID's coming, you know, a cost of living crunch is coming, the economy's going to crash. But also, Ian Hart, you know, the... uh, that his dad may may not live for much longer. Who knows how long, much longer Gemma Jones has got? 
And also, you know, John still does have some issues with things like fidelity. So they have got a really long road ahead of them. Was that discussed when you saw them talking? Yours were? I think it would have been. I have to admit, I, I have a really bad memory, so I can't remember absolutely everything that came up apart from a couple of the awkward questions. But um, I think that all comes down to the realism of the film. And actually, in a lot of these kinds of films, you're not going to get the perfect ending. And I, I kind of like that, that, that there's a lot to question there. But you still get the sense that because of this reconciliation between the two of them, they're going to do all their best together to kind of fight whatever comes their way. Of course, at the time, we wouldn't know what would be coming with um, (laughs) COVID and the cost of living crisis, but we wouldn't have known for anybody. And I'm not saying for me, I saw it as a super happy ending, but I believe in their relationship and I believe that they're going to really try with everything that's going to be thrown at them. It's a really British message, isn't it? The message is the victory is not the victory. The victory is in the trying. Yeah. Yeah. That yes, they're prepared exactly. to have a crack at this and that yeah. that's where any victory will come. Yeah. Me. I'm much more cynical. I think they're going to give it a good old try, but it's inevitably not going to work out. Well, no, but that's basically what Josh O'Connor was saying in the interview that I saw. That's what he was right, okay. too. Yeah. Yeah, because I think I think he's still so very unformed. We're never really told how old Gorgie is, but he is he's older. He's a little bit older and not loads older, but he is that bit older. He's a bit more experienced. He's much more comfortable with who he is. Mm -hmm. And to be that person who then has to look after someone and bring them to that point in their life, I think is a real strain on any relationship. But then you throw in a failing farm and like we've just discussed, everything that we know is coming that they don't know is coming. And yeah, I mean, as much as you gird your loins, I don't know that you're going to get through that. I think that'll be really hard. So I actually really like the juxtaposition of we leave it hanging where we know they're going to try. And that's really lovely for the viewer and for them in that moment. But then we've got that montage of the past and of farming of the past and the days playing. And it is just I've seen people saying that they thought it jarred. And actually, I think it's it's a really lovely way to end it because you do get that hope and that kind of nostalgia, which so many farmers must feel, particularly those small family farms. Yeah. Well, in a way, to bring it full circle to for how we were talking about, it is the embodiment of the plan that Jake Gyllenhaal has in Brokeback Mountain, that they'll just get a farm and live together and it'll be fine. Yeah. And I suppose, again, talking of progress, that seems like a possibility, doesn't it? Yeah. Fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) So, big success, Mick, since you're the only one that hadn't seen it before. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved it so, so much. It's such a beautiful, beautiful film. And it is actually really hopeful. Despite my cynical heart, it is a really hopeful film. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. <laughs> Any final thoughts, Yosra? No, I'm just I'm just glad that it's a, it's a winner. It's a really just moving, beautiful film. And I think, you know, anyone that hasn't seen it yet, do, do go and find it because it's, it's really, really wonderful agreed who's next i think it's me so you know i was gonna say brace yourself for a wank fest but i don't know that it could be any more of a wank fest than that one <laughs> there. Um, to be honest with you in its most literal sense um actually and also totally out of character i've chosen a horror sort of we're gonna watch Shaun of the dead that's not a horror is it that's okay when you said horror I shuddered because I don't normally like horrors but I can take short of the dead (laughs) we can have this conversation about whether it classes as a horror next time absolutely 
bigger issue for all women.